Friend Johnson Ferry, great to see you guys. So um, thrilled for the privilege of worshiping you. Lord, pray that you'd give me a table. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, God, God is good. God is good. Miracles every day. So um, it's been an awesome morning together, together. To hear you guys singing is such a privilege. And we take that for granted, don't we? What it means to come together as a family of God, to pray together, to sing together, to sit under the word of God together. And every single week, we've got a combination of folks who have been here for a long time, and then we've got several who are here for the very first time, and we love that you're here. It's a big deal to us that you're here. If you're a guest, I would love to get a chance to meet you uh, at some point in the near future. Who knows, maybe right after the service in the pergola, we'd love to get a chance to meet you. We are in a series on the parables of Jesus, and I want you to turn to Matthew 15. That's where we're going to be this morning, Matthew 15. And the message I've called, What Comes Out of Your Mouth, because it's a, it's a message that's about the words that we use, but really it's a message about our heart. And we're going to look at that today, Matthew 15. I was in the sixth grade. I don't know where my parents were that night. I, I just don't remember, but they were gone. And I had two other middle school friends over. Three middle school boys in a house, no parents. What could go wrong? I also remember it was raining because if it was a normal night, we would have been outside trying to play football or baseball or basketball. It must have been baseball season because we were playing baseball. And so since it was raining and we couldn't play baseball outside, we did the logical thing, which was to play baseball inside. Again, three middle school boys, no parents. And we had it all mapped out. We're in, we're in my basement. It's a furnished basement. We got the bases marked out. We got the spot on the wall that if you hit above the wall, it's a home run. Beneath, no way. And we start playing. We got a wiffle ball, bat, and a tennis ball. And we're off to the races. And somewhere about the third pitch, my friend gets a hold of this ball. And it was as if it was in slow motion. It just travels right towards my mom's lamp and hits it. And it shatters to like a million pieces on the ground. So we thought, what? What in the world are we going to do? So we got the glue. That's what we did. And so here we are, a bunch of middle school boys. We spent, I don't know, 30 minutes or so trying to find the pieces, like a puzzle, putting it together, gluing it. And, and if you stood at a distance, like, like a good distance, it looked normal. And, and just to make sure, we took pillows and picture frames and things, kind of hide the base of the lamp because that way my parents wouldn't notice. Well, long story short, my parents come in, in about 0.2 seconds, they noticed the lamp. And I thought I had them fooled, right? I mean, because from a distance, it was like, it, it's good. I mean, it looks like a lamp, kind of. But up close was a different story. Jesus encountered people, oftentimes people who considered themselves to be very religious, who from a distance looked like they had it all together but really they were broken. And Jesus confronted a group called the Pharisees, and we're gonna look at that today in a story in which he talks to us about our mouth, but it's really a story about our heart as he opposes the Pharisees. But let's look at that story together. In Matthew 15, it's our goal to go verses one through 20, 
But I want to read for you verse 11 because I think it is really the central parable or the heart of Jesus' teaching here. So as soon as you get it, and if you're physically able, physically able, would you stand up? Would love to read for you Matthew 15, verse 11. He's in the middle of a debate, and this is his teaching. It is not what enters the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of his mouth, this defiles the person. The word defile means to take something that's holy and to make it unholy, something that's sacred and to make it common. And and he's saying it's not what comes into you that determines the condition of your heart, it's what comes out of you that reveals what's in your heart. So let's talk to God about what's in our heart. Father, as we study this passage, we once again ask you to speak to our heart. Lord, I don't know what people are coming in here with. I'm sure some are coming in with, Lord, they're just in a trial. It's difficult, stress, anxiety. God, would you minister to them about their heart in this message? Lord, some are coming just on the highest of highs. Lord, speak to their heart. God, some are coming in here with a lot of doubt and skepticism about who you are. Are you even real? God, speak to them about their heart. And some, Lord, aren't willing to admit it, but they're going to come in with a lot of self-righteousness, like the Pharisees in this story. God, would you convict their heart? Lord, speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, and we're listening. We'll pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. One of the key groups that Jesus was often in opposition with, especially when he teaches the parables, are the Pharisees. Now, we've talked about the Pharisees from time to time. They are like the villains in many of these stories. Uh, I've joked that sometimes when you read the Pharisees, you should hear that music, dun, 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 because the Pharisees often get a bad rap. But I want to give them a little credit because the Pharisees meant well. They were Bible people. They were known for their adherence to the law. They were one of the major religious sects of the day, like the Sadducees and and other groups. Well, the Pharisees were one of the main groups during the time of Jesus. And they had not only the the law of God, the Torah, which we think of as, was it 633 or so laws in the Old Testament? And where God was black and white about do this, don't do that, the Pharisees were very much honoring the scriptures. But where there was gray areas or areas where God wasn't as clear as sometimes we want him to be, they would fill in the gaps with their own traditions and teachings around the scriptures. And over time, this is what separated the Pharisees. Over time, they treated their man-made teachings about the Bible as authoritative as the Bible itself. And Jesus often opposed the Pharisees for doing this very thing. They often were in conflicts with one another. And I think it's important to say this. This is a bit of a historical parenthesis that I want to make at this point. Sometimes it's easy to read Jesus' opposition to the Pharisees and project onto that that Jesus was against the Jews generally. There have been Heretics like Marcion, I don't know if you know that name from history, who got rid of the Old Testament 
because of this reason. And tragically, even, even heroes like Martin Luther had very anti-Semitic views. We're seeing in our day today the rise of lots of anti-Semitism. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John 4 that salvation is of the Jews. In other words, it's coming out of what God has done through the Jewish people, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Christ. So Jesus opposed religious leaders. Jesus did not oppose Jews generally. And the group that he often is in opposition with in the parables are the Pharisees. Now, if I asked you, are you a Pharisee? You probably know enough about the Bible to know that the answer is no, or at least the answer should be no. No one wants to be seen as a Pharisee. Even today in some small circles, maybe it's just kind of a Christian put down or something, we, we call people Pharisees if, if maybe they have a very legalistic, judgmental attitude, critical spirit towards others in the faith. And even if we're not willing to admit we're Pharisees, sometimes we can slide into being Pharisees. There was a book that was written decade or so ago by a pastor by the name of Larry Osborne, and it was called Accidental Pharisees. I love that title. I don't think any of us set out to become Pharisees, but we can accidentally slide into being Pharisees. And so as we have studied throughout the parables, this is yet another convicting teaching of Jesus where he's getting at the condition of your heart. I sometimes fear as we've taught the parables that the takeaway is often do better. Because often, often Jesus' parables are like, do this better. Even today, you're gonna hear about the mouth and, and words that you use. And, and you can take away, do better. The, the goal of the parables is not do better. The goal of the parable is realize you have a better savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And he wants to change your heart. And the Pharisees were not allowing God to change their heart. So let's look at this today, and I want us to examine not only what Jesus says to those Pharisees, but then to think about, are there ways that we can slide into being accidental Pharisees? I think there are three ways, and the first one is where I'm going to spend the bulk of my time, because I think that's where the heart of the passage is. But let's talk about three ways that we can become accidental Pharisees. Number one, it, it can happen if we put tradition over truth. Specifically, if we put man-made traditions over the truth of God, we will slide into being Pharisees. Let's see what happened and how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, verses 1 and 2. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, sending the big dogs. This is like the IRS sending in his agents. And they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. What's happening here? They're, they're watching these 12 followers of Jesus who don't seem to be all that concerned with washing their hands ceremonially before they eat, which the Pharisees decided meant that they were unclean. Now, let's be honest, since the age of covid we have become well acquainted with washing our hands. Before 2020, there were guys who hadn't washed their hands in like 18 years who had to learn how to wash their hands. But they're not just germaphobes. That's not what happened in the story. See, this is a perfect example of how they took tradition and put it over truth. The Pharisees took these Old Testament laws 
that God gave specifically for the priests in acts of worship to make sure they were clean before the Lord. They would wash their hands in these special bowls and, and, and sacred water. And the Pharisees thought, well, if it's good enough for the priests, it must be true for everybody. So see what's happening? They took what was meant for the priest and then they put that as a binding rule for everyone for all time who wants to follow God. Tradition over truth. Jesus then calls them out for this and he really calls them out for their hypocrisy. Look what he says to them in verses three through six. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves also break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? And he's gonna give an example here, verse four. For God said, honor your father and mother. And here's another quote from the Old Testament. He who speaks evil, a father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this, you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Now, what, what's going on here? There's lots of insider language that at the time they would understand that we, we have to have someone explain to us. So, so Jesus is going to point out that they are being hypocrites about the hand washing because some of their own practices, specifically about how they take care of their parents. It was common practice and an expectation, and still is today in Middle Eastern cultures, that a child, while they were young, were taking care of, of their parents, but at some point their aging parents would need the care of the child. In fact, you can go to the Middle East today and you'll see homes where you'll see apartments built, you know, one floor on top of another, sometimes with rebar sticking out the top as if they could add another layer for another generation. And it's often the case that you'll have the oldest generation living on the first floor and then their kids live on the second floor and their kids live on the third floor and families live together. And you took care of your parents. And that, of course, is at the heart of of the two commands that Jesus quoted, honor your father and mother. That's straight out of the 10 commandments. And then Exodus 21 says, if you curse your mother and father, you'll be put to death. Let me tell that to you again, kids. If you curse your mother and father, you shall be put to death. That's what the old covenant said. They were to take care of their parents. By the way, that's one thing that I'm banking on having three girls. So let me just tell you that right now. Boys grow up, they don't care about their parents. They forget your name after a while. Girls grow up and they care about their parents, amen? Especially their daddy. I just want one of them to take us in. I don't care which one it is. That's, that's why my, my whole goal is to, anyways. So what they were doing, the Pharisees, is they had this practice that they called korban. And it was this way of, of making a vow to the Lord that said, God, my money is yours. I'm gonna take this certain pot of money and God, it is yours to use, which sounds great. I mean, isn't that the heart of generosity? But they were actually using it as a loophole. See, that money that they could have used to take care of their parents, to honor their mother and father, they said was dedicated to the Lord, but they were actually using it for their own selfish purposes. And Jesus is calling out their hypocrisy, saying, you, you say that you're doing Corban because you wanna honor your father and mother, but you're not honoring God and you're not honoring your parents. You are hypocrites. You are hypocrites. And the reason they're hypocrites is because their father is the devil. 
That's what Jesus said to him another time in John 8. Your father is the devil. And they are doing what the devil has done from the beginning. Look, I, I don't know where you stand if you're a follower of Jesus. I don't know how much of the, we call it the gospel, the salvation of God, this good news. I don't know how much of that you understand, but at the very beginning of this story of God's salvation, God creates this perfect world. Adam and Eve are given this perfect world where they're called to trust God and he gives them everything they need. And what do we read at the beginning of Genesis, that a serpent, the devil, Satan, enters into the picture. And he does what he has done since then and even now. You know what he does? He puts question marks where God has already put a period. God said, don't touch, don't eat from this tree. Did he really say that? Is he holding out on you? That's what Satan loves to do. And the Pharisees were finding loopholes in the law for their own selfish purposes. They are not only being hypocrites, they are actually fulfilling Scripture. Let's keep going, verses 7 through 9. Jesus says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you by saying, and here he quotes Isaiah 29, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, a long time before this, several hundred years, Isaiah said the same thing about Judah. They had acted like they were all good with God, worshiping him, singing the songs, praying the prayers. But it wouldn't come from here. In fact, I'll just read a portion of it for you, Isaiah 29, 13 through 16. Then the Lord said, because this people approaches me with their words and honors me with their lips, but their heart, listen to that, but their heart is far away from me. And their reverence for me consists of the commandment of men that is taught. Therefore, behold, this is what God says, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish. And the understanding of their men who have understanding will be concealed. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord and whose deeds are done in a dark place. And they say, who sees us? Who knows us? That's what they think, right? It's like the broken lamp. You're not going to see it, God. You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That which is made would say to its maker, he did not make me. Or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. The point is that there's a disconnect between what they say and what they do. And for this, Jesus calls them hypocrites. Hypocrites. In the ancient world, hypocrites was a term of the theater. Do you remember learning about the time in these ancient theaters where they would put on masks? They'd have a happy mask with a happy face. Sad mask with a sad face. And, and a hypocrite was someone who was two-faced. And he says, that's, that's what your religion is like. You're two-faced. You're, you're, you're this way over here and you're this way over here, but your heart is far from me. Your heart is far from me. They had let their man-made traditions rule their life instead of the truth of God and his word. That doesn't mean, by the way, that all traditions are bad. I bet we all have traditions, family traditions with the holidays coming up. You probably got stuff that you always do on Thanksgiving, you always do on Christmas. 
You may have daily rhythms that you live by that helps you be productive and a schedule. I mean, we all, we all probably have traditions. And, and even there are New Covenant, New Testament traditions. Though we don't use the word tradition with it, there's things like the Lord's Supper. That's a tradition that we are to do in the, in the church. Baptism is a tradition that we do in the church. All these things can be good traditions. The problem is when we take things that God hasn't told us to do that become preferences or man-made traditions, and then we just project them onto everybody else as if because they're important to me, they better be important to you. And this happens all the time, especially in the church. We might have traditions, preferences like music and music styles. And we think because it means something to me, it better mean something to you as if there's one music style that pleases God more than others or dress codes, Bible translations, better be a King James. If the king ain't on it, the king ain't in it, amen? (laughs) Things like patriotism, Romans 13 tells us that we should honor those in authority, that it bears a sword for us. But by God, we better have an American flag in this church. We're going to worship Jesus properly. We, we take man-made traditions and then we project them onto, onto the people of God. That's what Pharisees do. Several years ago, I was serving another church. I was an associate pastor and I was over discipleship groups, that kind of thing. And we had this adult Sunday school class um, and something happened in this class. They, they met in this room and I don't know how long I'd been up there, years before I got there, but there was a picture of Jesus hanging on the wall. And it's one of these Jesuses, it was kind of like a European looking Jesus, had the kind of like blonde highlights, blue eyes, probably not like the real Jesus. Anyways, he's hanging there on the wall and they loved that. And, and then one day they showed up on a Sunday morning to meet and Jesus was gone. Jesus had left their Sunday school class. He was gone. They could not find this picture anywhere. And you wouldn't believe how people lost their minds over this picture of Jesus hanging on the wall. They began to accuse other people of taking it. They certainly thought me, man, after all, I had some vendetta against Jesus in their classroom. Like, certainly that was my, they accused me of doing that. They, they even began to write these sob letters like, I just can't even worship Jesus unless he's looking at me on the wall and all, all this kind of stuff. And we looked for Jesus for like a month. We couldn't find Jesus. <laughs> and he finally turned up one day there were some guys who had come to work on the air conditioning and they had to take some stuff off the walls. They were redoing some panels and stuff and they put it in a closet and just forgot to put it back. And we found Jesus. He was in the closet the whole time. We found Jesus. You know what I didn't do? I did not put that picture back up on that wall because that picture had become an idol. Reminds me of when Moses held up the bronze serpent. And then later in, I think it's 2 Kings, it says they had to burn the serpent because people started to worship the bronze serpent instead of the God who delivered them. That's our tendency. If we put traditions, man-made traditions over God's truth, we become Pharisees. Number two, how do we become accidental Pharisees? Number two, we put impressing over confessing. 
impressing. By that, I mean impressing others with our holiness instead of confessing our hearts to the Lord. Jesus tells a parable, verses 10 and 11. So he's calling out the uh, Pharisees, and then he calls the crowd to him, and he said this to the crowd, hear and understand. And I don't know if this crowd was this big or bigger than this, and to everyone listening, he said this. He said, it is not what enters the mouth that defiles the person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles the person. See, he's, he's using a parable about what comes out of your mouth, but his real issue is getting at your heart. The Pharisees were letting religious words come out of their mouth, and they were abstaining from certain foods, not going into their stomachs, thinking that they're good with God. But Jesus says, it's not, a, it's not about the food you eat or don't eat. It's about what comes out of your, what comes out of your mouth, what comes out of your heart. Now, now we, don't, we don't feel this in the way they did because we live the new covenant, but you know, in the, in the old covenant, there were certain dietary restrictions of foods that people could eat and couldn't eat. And God designed it that way. It's not like they made them up. I mean, God said, eat this animal, don't eat this animal. And the reason he did it is the reason he gave most of the laws in the old covenant. It was to say that these people are different. They're different than the world. God is saying something about his holiness through how Israel was living by the rituals they kept and the traditions they had and the foods they ate or did not eat. Well, in the new covenant, one of the glorious passages is Acts 10, when Peter has this vision of this huge sheet with all these animals coming down. And God says, all of these animals are now clean to you. There's no food that is off limits to you now on this side of the cross. But some people, because they think it makes them more holy, not to touch certain foods or not to do certain things, actually, whether they know it or not, are teaching the doctrines of demons. You go, whoa, where'd you get that? 1 Timothy 4. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Whoa. Who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. The the Pharisees were worried about impressing people with their religious rituals, but God knew their heart. We keep going in the story, verse 12 to 14. Then the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? As if to say, I can't believe you said that, Jesus. But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides, a blind people. And if a person who is a blind guide leads another who is blind, both will fall into a pit. Now, now that's a harsh word that Jesus had for these religious leaders. He, He said that they are not of my father's planting. You remember in John 15, when Jesus told us to abide in him, like the vine abides to the 
uh, the vine abides to the plant, the root. They're not abiding. Moreover, he says they're like blind guides. There's a picture painted in the, I think it's the 1500s by an artist, Peter Bruegel, I think is his name. Look at this picture he painted of, you can tell blind guides leading other blind people falling into a pit. And Jesus used this word picture to say, these are people who are religious leaders who claim they're serving God, claim they're leading people to God's heart, and yet they're actually taking away from God's heart. You know why? Because they're way more impressed by impressing others with their self-righteousness than they are having a humble confessing heart before the Lord that says, God, here I am. I don't deserve you, but here I am. I love a parable that Jesus said. It's fitting to use a parable and a message on parables. And I just, I love this story. Listen to the story. Listen to how Jesus makes a, a distinction between a Pharisee and the kind of person that God's looking for. Now, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. There's a sentence right there and viewed others with contempt. Here's the story. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. See this guy down here? He's a swindler. This guy over here, crooked adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I paid my tithes. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes toward heaven, but he was beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man, which man? The tax collector. This man went to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. One of my great fears in teaching the parables is that in all these harsh teachings where Jesus is getting at the root of what's in your heart, what you take away is this thought, I gotta do better. I gotta earn God's love. I gotta earn God's favor. And in our little East Cobb bubble where it's all about ambition and achievement, it is so easy to project that onto your Christian life to think that the way I get God's favor and his blessing and his love is that I do more, I do harder, I do better than anybody else. And you know what? If you do that, you're just like a Pharisee. That's called self-righteousness. The goodness of the gospel is that you don't deserve his love. You don't deserve his favor. You don't deserve eternal life with him. And aren't you glad that God is not fair? Aren't you glad that God does not give you what you deserve? Which is hell, which is wrath, which is condemnation, but God gives you what you don't deserve, which is salvation and peace and contentment and a new heart, a heart that loves God, a heart that is satisfied in God, a heart that is joyful in God. 
You don't have to earn. You don't have to earn. My kids don't have to earn my love. You do not have to earn your heavenly father's love. That's why I sent Jesus to die on a cross for your sins and be raised on the third day that he might come in your life and change your heart. It's not about impressing other people. What a waste of time. It's about confessing, God, I need you. Third way that we become an accidental Pharisee is that we put legalism over love. That's what we were just talking about, legalism, earning righteousness through my keeping of the law over loving God and loving your neighbor. Jesus ends this parable, verse 15 and 20. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Aren't you grateful for Peter, by the way? I mean, there are times we're like, we don't want to admit it, but we're like, Peter, would you ask him to explain the parable? (laughs) Okay, explain the parable to us. And Jesus is like, are you still lacking in understanding? And the answer is, yes, yes, we are lacking in understanding. And he says, all right, here, here we go. I'll explain it to you. Verse 17, do you not understand that everything, I mean, think about it, everything that goes in the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated. Anybody need me to explain that to them? Any middle school boys here need me to explain what this verse is about? You got it? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And those things defile the person. Okay, what comes out of the heart? I'll tell you what comes out of the heart. What comes out of the heart are evil thoughts, murders, acts of adultery, immoral sexual acts, thefts, false testimonies, slanderous statements. And it goes back to where this whole thing began. These are the things, what comes out of your heart, these are the things that defile the person. But let's not be silly, but to eat with unwashed hands. That doesn't defile a person. It is so easy to put a legalistic approach to the heart over a loving approach to the heart. And while while this teaching is essentially about, about making sure that we're adhering to the truth of God and not manly traditions, it's really a passage about love in your heart and kind of where is your heart and how's, how does that heart respond to others? The Pharisees looked at the disciples that Jesus had and they looked at them with content, I mean, contempt and cynicism and resentfulness. I mean, look, look at this, this ragtag bunch of guys you're following you around, Jesus. They, they don't have degrees like we do. They haven't been to the schools that we've been to. They don't know the Bible like we do. And yet these are the very people that God picked to change the world. Aren't you glad that God picks the people that we probably wouldn't pick? Abraham, God picked him. He was a liar. Moses, God picked him. He was a murderer. David, God picked him. He was an adulterer. Peter, God picked him. He was a denier and on and on. And guess what? God picked you too. And he picked me. Unlikely people who have had their lives radically wrecked by a joy that comes only from Jesus. And and that joy should produce a heart of love that looks at what comes out of my mouth. So I don't, I don't think the teaching of this text is only about what comes out of your mouth, but I don't think we can end our teaching without just thinking about what, what's coming out of your mouth. I mean, really. Like, how do, you, how do you talk to people? How do you talk about people? 
When you post online, what, what stuff do you post? What stuff do you retweet? What stuff do you share? The Bible has a lot to say with, with just examining our words and what they say about our heart. Here's a couple of verses I'll, I'll give to you, just four of many. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. But if there's any good word for edification, according to the need of the moment, say that. Why do you always say the negative things? Say, say what's good to build up somebody so that it will give grace to those who hear. Psalm 141. Set a guard, Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Matthew 12. This is, I don't like this verse. But I tell you that for every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. James 3. With it, with what? With the tongue. We, we bless our Lord and Father. <laughs> That's awesome. And with it, we curse people who have been made the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. We live in a crazy time with so many crazy things happening in the world and it is so easy to get cynical and bitter and, and resentful. And I just wanna encourage you to watch what comes out of your mouth because ultimately what comes out of your mouth is really an indication of what's in your heart. And with Christmas time coming up, this is the time of year where we need to do all we can to love our neighbor, to be inviting people to hear about Jesus. During Christmas, people, for whatever reason, have, have their heart open to spiritual things like no other time in the year. I don't know why that is. It just, it just is. So I hope that one of the things that's going to come out of your mouth is the gospel. And, and that you're bold when you have those opportunities to share. But I, I want to give you an assignment. Here's my homework assignment, all right? I want to give you a verse to memorize this week. Some of y'all memorize lots of verses and this is no big deal. Most of you don't memorize verses. So I think this would be a wonderful thing for you to try. And, and here's the verse from Psalm 1914. It goes like this. May the words of my heart and the meditation of, of excuse me, let, me, uh, let me get it right. May the words of my mouth, there it is, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love just thinking about kind of the anatomy here, right? May the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In fact, could we just say that together? Let's, let's just say Psalm 1914 together. Y'all ready? Let's say it together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Say it one more time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. I want to encourage you this week to memorize Psalm 1914. And that your words and ultimately your heart would represent the awesome, awesome love that you've been given in Jesus. Well, now it's time to go live on mission. I don't know what your week's going to look like. Maybe some of y'all got to travel. Maybe you got a big meeting this week, school, hobbies, vacation. This is our time to go and bring truth, belonging, and purpose to Jesus. I, I would love to pray for you in that way. And if you would, if you'd stand up and I'll say a prayer, and when I say amen, we'll be dismissed. 
And if you're someone here today who needs to give your life to Christ, if you'd like to talk about having this joy in Jesus, maybe you're in a trial and you just want somebody to pray for you, what a privilege it would be for us to get to do that. We have a response team right down here who I know would love to pray with you and to minister to you in any way we can. And uh, I'm going to try to slip out to the pergola, and maybe if you're a guest today, we'll love a chance to meet you as well. well. Let me pray for you. Oh, Father, forgive us where we have slipped into being accidental Pharisees. Father, I do pray that you would help our hearts to be pure before you. And I do pray, as we just read, God, that, that the words of our mouth and, and the meditation of our hearts God, will those things be pleasing and acceptable to you? Because God, you are our Lord. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. God, help us to share that joy of Jesus with others this week so that they too would know the joy that we have in you. God, we love you and we praise you. What a privilege to live for you. And we'll pray that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... All right, love you guys. See you next Sunday.